The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Leading under Pressure. David, why, why do you think it's important for us to, to understand how to do that? Well, 2020, I could just stop there, right? <laughs> you know, just 2020. But if you notice, the leadership landscape has changed fundamentally and indelibly. It's not going back to the way it was. And we have, in this one year, these 12 months or so, uh, leaders have been put through a lot of changes. And what I've noticed working with leaders in a number of different industries is that they weren't ready, right? The changes that happened, moving from in-person to remote, handling remote teams, still being able to adapt on the fly as other leadership needs changed, there was definitely a gap for a lot of leaders. So right now, we're going to see change continue and it's going to speed up and most leaders again still aren't ready so what i've done is i think that this is the time for leaders to learn how to lead under pressure you can argue that leaders are always leading under pressure but this is one of those moments that is a standout moment where the pressure is so (laughs) it's so heavy the pressure is so great right now that people can actually step back and say, yes, um, I, I need to step up what I'm doing as a leader. Absolutely. Man, this is great. want to dig a little deeper into your focus at the University of Colorado because it's really interesting, the intersection of leadership and diversity. And for a lot of people, this might be a completely new concept for them. And so when you think about the intersection of leadership and diversity, why is that something that is worth exploring? Absolutely. I mean, it's a great question. And I've been doing this work for over 20 years when starting in a time when it was a very surprising intersection to look at. I would say today, people really care a lot more about um, this topic. And, you know, there's awareness about the lack of, say, women CEOs and um, in Fortune 500 companies. And same thing, if you look across um, race, there's you know, the vast, vast majority of CEOs, senators pick any type of leadership role in the U.S. And you'll see it's um, disproportionately occupied by majority group members. And so why do I study this 
topic. Um, I am a woman and I'm Mexican American. So I, maybe it's because of my own identity that I bring that caused me to study it. But I don't know if that's really true. I think the, the real answer is I don't think it's possible to study leadership without looking at race and gender. Because if you are a researcher and you collect data about how leaders are evaluated or what leaders can do to be successful, you will inevitably find differences across race and gender. And I say inevitably because when I started doing this work, um, maybe way back in graduate school, I actually tried not to study gender or race or diversity. And this is like horrible. I feel bad saying it now, but because I wanted to, because I am a you know Mexican American first generation college student, female and like a very masculine field. I wanted to do something that was like mainstream because I think people would doubt me if I did, you know, if I studied diversity, people might think, Oh, well, she's not as serious of a academic. And I'm fully ashamed of having felt that way, but I think it was kind of true at the time. Um, but nonetheless, every study I did on the topic of leadership, I would find gender differences. Um, I wouldn't find race differences as often because I usually didn't have enough diversity in my data to really find race differences, but there's always gender differences. The same behavior that predicts success for male leaders predicts failure for female leaders, right? So you can't ignore those differences. If you're a, a serious scientist, you can't just pretend they don't exist. And so I had to study that <laughs> that topic. And then over time, it really became the most interesting thing that I study. I think it's the most important thing that I study. And um, after maybe after tenure, it doesn't really, I get, don't care as much if people question whether I'm the most serious scientist or not. I think what I'm doing is the most important topic out there. This is great. And so I, I want to highlight a couple of things because the, the, the persuasion and negotiation nerd in me cannot help but do this. But you in particular are a very compelling person to have this message because you were reluctant to carry the message like that in itself is really persuasive because as you're having these conversations with other people and they are skeptical, you can truly empathize with them and say, listen, I, I get it. I didn't want to do this, but after being confronted with the data, I had to do it. And I think it's really telling the fact that you found those discrepancies between um, men and women in your, in your data. And you didn't see those same discrepancies as it relates to race, mainly because there wasn't enough of a, a, a significant sample size to come to a conclusion, which is an important data point in itself. So I just commend oh gosh, you for yes. leaning into that and, and having and, and kind of leading this because it's really important. So presence, what do we need to know about that? So executive presence is basically making sure that you are staying focused on the right things. You're enabling your team to stay focused on the right things and you're not running around panicking and messing up the morale and doing more harm to your team and your culture than you're doing good. So one of the things I've noticed during this time is that many people didn't panic as outwardly as you'd think, but they retreated. It was a way of them dealing with overwhelm. And when you're in a time of crisis, as a leader, you can't retreat. You can't hide out. You cannot, because as you go, so goes the team, so goes morale, so goes culture. So as a leader, a big part of what you're going to be doing is 
demonstrating that presence to let people know that you can stay calm. Uh, we may not have the answers, but we're working on it. You're, I can't say what's going to happen, but we're working to make sure that everyone's jobs are stable, intact, moving forward. We're going to take care of you. It's a lot of reassurance. It's a lot of people management above and beyond assigning tasks and making sure that things are getting done and hitting targets. This is the softer side of leadership that is more nurturing and a lot of leaders have gotten away from because they don't see themselves as motivational. They don't see themselves as nurturers. They see themselves as uh, employers making sure that people get work done. And fundamentally, that's a big difference between management and leadership. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you think about the things that people often do unwittingly that are problematic in their leadership when it comes to communicating effectively and resolving con conflict effectively, what do you think those key mistakes are that people need to avoid? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think the number one mistake that I see is that people come to conflict and expect that this is going to be a logical dialogue because the data is right in front of us and the data leads us to very logical solutions, one, two, and three. Why don't we try those, get some, some more data on how this is going to work, find the best strategy and move forward. And when those human beings who are complex people come to conflict, they don't bring just their logical mind, they bring their whole selves. And so when the leaders that I'm working with are having to talk through conflict, having to deal with difficult conversations, the number one mistake that I think people make is to assume that we can handle this in a logical, objective, abstract kind of a way. It takes a lot more emotional intelligence than that, which means it takes more time. It takes more deep breaths. It takes a whole lot more listening to be able to get the engagement to move down that road. It takes a lot more discovery in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. And we see it all the time, especially when you have people who um, believe that they're quite intelligent. They think highly of themselves. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. You try to get a whole lot of these really intelligent folks who 
are amazingly skilled. They have amazing skills, deep wells of professional technical knowledge. And then they have to deal with something that isn't really a technical kind of a problem. It's a culture problem or it's an equity problem, or, you know, there are folks like the community that we serve is really feeling left behind. That's not a logical, uh, that's not a purely, let me say it that way, it's not a purely logical problem. There are emotions involved and there's humanity involved. Absolutely. And when you miss that, it leads to frustration for everybody involved. Um, Absolutely. And I think about it as a mediator. Some of my favorite mediations were, are, were when people would use the terms irrational or crazy. And because whenever I heard one party say, oh, I can't believe they're asking for this or they're doing this. It's completely irrational. I'm like, oh, I know what the other side's going to say. I go in and they say, they're completely irrational. This is crazy, right? And um, and if you think that rationality or logic is going to save uh, either one of those things are going to save the day, you're going to be woefully mistaken. And a lot of times the uh, the things that we think are logical or rational are ve- and are very subjective. Absolutely. What's logical to you might be, you know, something that seems, you know, pie in the sky or on the clouds to me. One of the things that we talk about with just this kind of problem is, you know, there, most everybody has heard about, you know, listening uh, and being able to reflect what people say, being able to, you know, reframe what people say. So someone comes to you and they're, ex- they're expressing their frustration in this difficult conversation. So active listening, we're going to say back to them in a different way what they've said so that we're showing them that we're listening to them. And a lot of times in these conversations, the person goes, oh, okay, no. And they say it again. And they say the same thing. You're like, I just did the whole like paraphrase kind of thing back. Okay. I'm going to quote them this time. I'm just going to prove I'm listening to them by, I heard you say, and then you just quote, say exactly what they said. And when they go, oh, no, that's when they need to feel heard, not be heard. And that is a completely different process. Now we're not talking prefrontal cortex of your brain, you know, right behind your forehead. Now we're talking the, the, you know, like what we call your reptilian brain, your, your amygdala, it's your emotional center. You know, if you put one finger above your ear, kind of by your temple and one in the middle of your forehead, where those two lines intersect, you have the amygdala hangs out in your brain and it, when it is stimulated, it is harder for people to hear, to do that logical, rational, objective, analytical, abstract thinking, which belongs right behind your your eyebrows, basically, in your prefrontal cortex. So if people are gripped by emotion, then you might need to say, you know what? I can hear the frustration in your voice. Can you tell me more about that? Or, you know, what I think I'm hearing in your voice is, you know, is that anxiety? Can you help clarify for me? I, you know, what, what's happening? How can I, how can I be of support to you in this? And sometimes people have to work through the emotion part before they can get on to the, the, the being heard part. Absolutely. And that is an, an expert level distinction, being heard versus feeling heard. And again, if you think about it just completely logically and rationally, well, I repeated back to what, what they said. So clearly I'm understanding it. But if you don't understand the psychology that's lying beneath the surface, you're going to try to solve the wrong problem with the wrong tools.
one of the things I liked about that is the fact that you said focus. And that was interesting because typically when you think about executive presence, people mm-hmm. say, well, stand up straight, shoulders back, um, shake with a firm <laughs> handshake, now virtually, I guess a, a firm wave, whatever it might be, right? And um, I, I like that you started off with focus. That was interesting. So tell us why it starts there. It starts there because what you're focusing on is what your team is going to focus on. And I've heard all of the same stuff, the firm handshake, look them in the eye, hand your business card with one hand and shake with the other. That's not necessarily executive presence as much as it is making a, uh, (laughs) making a good impression, right? Right. Executive presence goes well beyond making a good impression to ensuring that your team can function through crisis. That's fundamentally the role of executive presence. And coming back to focus, as you help your team to stay focused, not on the crisis, but on what they're doing now and how they will move through the crisis and who they will be on the other side of the crisis, that is executive presence. Helping your team to stay focused on getting the right things done, even when everything is a distraction, when they can't turn on the news without being distracted and they can't get away from the distraction because perhaps it's hitting them personally, perhaps it's hitting them uh, in their social circles, they're being distracted, there are things outside of your control that are clamoring for their attention, your role as, and, and the, the fundamental role of executive presence from what we're talking about right here is making sure that they can function, letting them know that you understand being a human being in the middle of this crisis, allowing your team to breathe and understand that, yes, it's not good right now, but we're going to get through this. That's executive presence, that calming presence that lets your team know we're going to make it. If you're running around, I, I often use the six days, seven nights, uh, Harrison Ford, and I can never remember the young lady who's in that with him. I love that movie. But there's a scene when they've tried everything and Harrison Ford, who was a pilot in this movie, walks into this tall grass and he starts shaking the grass and cussing and, and kicking and everything. And she walks back out and the actress looks at him and says, I understand you're upset. Don't ever do that again. I can't afford to see you like that. That's understanding executive presence. You can't kick the grass. You can't go off and, and have a hissy fit or, or, or a meltdown that's public because it will undermine not only their confidence in the direction and tomorrow, but it will undermine their confidence in your ability to get them there. That makes a lot of sense. And it's, we can understand why it's so important for leaders to, to, to be like this, right? Mm-hmm. But we understand at the same time that it's incredibly difficult for them to be like this too, because just like how their employees are feeling pressure and yep. they're afraid too, the leaders feel the same way. And for a lot of leaders at the top, that's almost like, not almost, it, it really is the loneliest place in the organization. So how do leaders still maintain this presence while still maintaining their mental health? So two things. One, it's Anne Hetch or Anne Hetchy. I did remember her name. <laughs> and two, the, you're, you're hitting a, a great point here. For leaders, it's always lonely. In times of crisis, it's even lonelier because the stakes are even higher. So one of the things I've done working with my clients, I become that safe space. I become that Uh, calm in the middle of the storm, as it were, the eye of the storm, where they can step back, think they can uh, game plan, and they can get ahead of the curve versus always playing catch up and always fighting fires and always uh, trying to figure out what's next. I become a, a 
confidant that allows them, and this is in executive coaching, and even uh, in the program we do this, uh, give them an opportunity to step back and think and breathe and take the loneliness out of leadership because that's one of the things that's different now. It's always been lonely, but before you were lonely in the same office building, right? Now you're lonely at home, really feeling disconnected from your people, not being able to get those subtle cues in a meeting or those subtle cues as you uh, walk down the hallway or in between meetings. You're not able to read the people like you could before. So now it feels even more disconnected as leaders are making decisions that have greater impact, that are, are more crisis driven than vision driven, right? So you end up having leaders struggling. And this program I mentioned, Leading Under Pressure, is designed, it's, it, leadership doesn't have to be this lonely. And that's why I built a community. But when I'm working with clients one-on-one, one of my clients was, um, when I went and spoke to his entire executive, um, all of his peers at an executive level, the way he introduced me was, David helped me when COVID broke out, didn't even know I needed the kind of help he gave. He helped me to think through things. He helped me to understand um, what was happening and to not react, but respond more effectively. So those are the types of things that having someone uh, like myself, a coach or someone in your sphere of influence that works with you, help you as a leader to make those good decisions and not react, but respond more effectively. Essentially how to persuade as a leader. And so when you think about your approach to leading and managing and, and moving people from one position to another position with your communication style, what would you say is your ultimate goal in every conversation? You know, I, I would I would say depending on what the uh, what what role I play within this negotiation, it is to get to yes, especially if I am if I am um, managing up and I'm talking to my CEO and and we're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, he may have a different opinion or he or she may have a different opinion. And I uh, am trying to figure out how do I maintain uh my role, autonomy, and all those kind of things while still making sure that I'm delivering what's needed. And that's just more of a, as you get uh, a little bit older and, and get into your career, you start realizing that ego uh, counts a lot less uh, and causes more issues than actual doing and execution and all those kind of things. And so staying focused on that, on that is, is critical. When I'm managing laterally or, or you know, uh, to, you know, subordinates is making sure that they're experiencing me uh, as a leader, as a colleague in a way that leaves them feeling heard, transparent and in, in what is needed, uh, that they have direction that is actual direction and not um, uh, just a task mastering uh, that they have, that they feel whole uh, from the, the, the interaction and that I could be vulnerable enough to convey what it is that I really need to get done. What I really, what the vision really is for this, for this task and being vulnerable enough to receive things and be able to, to pivot if needed. Sometimes you're just wrong. <laughs> and, and that's just the key. And that's just something that, um, uh, I, I, I've, I've seen for a lot of people that could be the hardest part of their professional journey of just under, of just being told like, well, you're not 
the brightest. You're not the smartest. You don't know everything about all these intricate things. You're great. But, you know, just like Jordan, you know, Jordan won with Pippen and Grant and and Rodman and all these other people like that's still my goat. Uh, But uh, I don't know if our goat gets six rings without having these other great compliments and around him of people who who are great in their own right. Um, And I'll I'll tell you, um, just being in, in, in leadership and things like that, a lot of this for me was forged. And um, I had a boss tell me a long time ago, I was like, well, how do you know how to do these things? How do you know how to do these things? They're like, well, because I screwed them up. <laughs> and and when dealing and, and working throughout, you know, my early career, learning to lead by being willing to be a teammate first and foremost uh, really helped me become to to take the next step to take the next step in my leadership journey um and and what i had to realize too in my own in my own right like it was good it was great it was it was you know i i had traversed pretty well by my mid-30s and had had you know hit all the markers you know as far as titles pay you know autonomy all these kind of things and i found myself thinking like okay what's next and if if i can't see what's next why and i remember my wife sat me down and was like well maybe you're not ready for it hmm. and you know uh <laughs> you know you married the right person when they can just be brutally honest but honest mm-hmm. to you um and uh shout out to crystal davis uh my, my wife 10 years now and uh, next month in august so um but we had this conversation and I remember sitting there like, okay, 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 babe, I got you. All right. I got you. But I'm still thinking like, no, 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 I'm great. I'm good at what I do. I'm good at what I do. I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking this, I'm sitting there thinking this. And, and she told me, um, uh, you know, a few months later, we're having the same conversation. And she's like, well, until you realize that what got you here, isn't going to get you to the next level. Um, and I'm like, what did, you, what did you say? Like, well, what got you here was good. Like, it was great. But what's going to get you to the next level is development of something else. And for me, that development was making sure that I could lead and I could be a teammate in a very authentic and vulnerable way that allowed people to really understand, like, what my motivations are. This is great. This is great. And there one of the ways you can treat people with respect during these times is to acknowledge their stress, to be patient with people, to be understanding. Let your folks know exactly what the goalpost looks like. Then celebrate when you get there. I would encourage leaders to celebrate things now more than ever. Give people more opportunity to to take a victory lap right? You have to be the chief motivational officer for your team. One of my clients, uh, this was her hangup. She was not, she, she was all about business, 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 right? I just had a uh, Lego movie. For those of you who have kids and have seen Lego movie, you'll know um, that's, that's business, business, business. But um, she was all about business. And one of the things I shared with her, as I said, you've got to become the chief motivational officer. When people see you, they need to smile, not frown. People need to walk up to you to share their good stories, not try to avoid you because you, they think you're just going to hit them with something else. 
And when you're leading under pressure and you're leading in crisis moments, we have a tendency to double down and try to, to, to muscle up and man up and woman up and put it on our shoulders. And that means we drive people harder so we can get results. And guess what? When people are already grinding gears, all that does is accelerate burnout, accelerate drops in morale, accelerate you not hitting the targets because people keep checking out. So, yeah. Oh, man, David. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.